not only is the justice system clearly broken, but the education system is not trailing far behind it. Take a little break from the crazy, try to recalibrate. Every day seem to be hazy, I see dope. Everybody sick with obsession, it's how to navigate. Take your baggage out of my space, I need room. Reset. New world order. Reset. New world order. Yes. JP, what's up, man? What's going on, baby? Not much. Not much in all the things, I'm sure. <laughs> Most definitely. Most oh, definitely. Thank you lot, for joining me, man. On my shoulders. No problem, man. I appreciate that, the opportunity to share, man. Yeah, absolutely, bro. I'm, I'm glad you, you joined me, man. You know, for folks joining us, uh, you know, my name is J.P. Reynolds. I'm a music artist, entrepreneur, and educator, and I'm being joined right now by Dr. Jamar Mills. Just the OG in this game, man. You know, he's a... He's been putting work in. This is a principal, an educator, an author, a speaker. And we're talking educational wellness. And, you know, Jamal, um, you know, <laughs> when I originally hit you up to, to do this, we only had the pandemic in the background. And, I know. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, now we have the pandemic and an uprising in, in the background. So this is a very interesting time for, for education. Yep. You know, we have a lot of folks who have shifted where they're being educated parents have turned into educators and they didn't think they were going to be educators people are, are approaching education differently now in in light of the uprising that is happening in light of the, uh, the revolution and yep um, self-educating and creating education circles and reading clubs and you know i'm, I'm grateful to, to have you on the call to to give us some perspective on on some of it, you know, I think yeah, yeah. As I've been saying for all these conversations, you know, these are beginning conversations for a lot of these issues and, and topics. So, you know, I kind of want to just start off with the <laughs> the the changing tide of of the educational system, right? What do you see? What do you what are you tapped into? You've been an innovator when it comes to educational spaces. What are you seeing in the shift right now with, with education? The the pandemic opened our 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 eyes to a lot of things and i think there was a, a lot of resistance on the innovation that actually could happen within education the pandemic forced that mm -hmm. right so to go from this in-person everyday synchronous learning to actually right. being at home being able to work with families and help them self-educate their their young people and work with the school yeah. which is the unique opportunity for the idea that schools typically make really hard to accomplish. Yeah. So homeschooling, if you know anything about it, if you go to a school district and say, I'm going to homeschool my child, those funds that the district would send or the state sends to the district or the federal government sends to the district doesn't actually matriculate to the family that right. decides to homeschool their child. Right. And so because of that, everyone sends their child into the institution and they essentially just digest whatever it is that's being taught to them. And that could look really different depending on the leader, the leadership, the school district, superintendents, board members. All of them have a true say in what curriculum looks like. And so that being said, the pandemic is not the shift in education. It's actually not the worst thing that ever happened to it, specifically for people of color. Right. Because yes. now more than ever. Mm -hmm. You have an opportunity to take hold of what it is that your child is going to be receiving on a regular basis. Yeah. Not only that, you're being forced to participate 
if you value the thing that we call education. Yeah. Right? Because no longer can they leave for eight hours and come back and you ask them if they have homework. Now you're saying, I need you to get up at the same time you used to, get ready, get at the table, and work through it. Yeah. Now, that's the upside of it. Of course, the downsides are the facts that not everybody has access to the technology. Yeah. yeah. Not even just in homes. We're talking about districts. Yeah. Having budgeted appropriately to make sure their students have a device right. or even a Wi-Fi hotspot to access. Mm. So I've been fortunate enough to do those things in an early enough yeah. to actually get young people to have what they need that I'm in that I'm responsible for. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's pros and cons to the process as far as education goes in the COVID era. I yeah. think that this is an opportunity for us to rethink what it looks like, yeah. what it feels like, what we expect of it, yeah. and, and, and how we want to utilize the dollars that all taxpayers mm. pay to, yeah. to get our child to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, man, you said a lot there, man. And I, I should say that, you know, today I, we were grounded with some yoga and mental wellness. And one of the things that, that, I, that struck me was this concept of controlling what we can control. And it's really interesting to think about in the, in the context of like this shift in education. Right. Like parents are becoming educators in a way that they haven't been before. Districts are, you know, di districts are doing different things. I'm curious about what you think about, especially when it comes to, especially when it comes to where we are with this uprising in self-education. I'm curious as to what you, what your perspective is on how, how decentering whiteness and having our curriculums look more like the people that they're serving. How was that? How was that going to shift? I feel like there's a shift coming with that. I feel like, I mean, even to a greater level. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm wondering what power there is in our communities and how we can activate that power. I, so from a leadership perspective on my yeah. end, I think that it is three functions that need to be shifted in order for us to do this in a real way. Okay. And so uh, we start at the highest level where we talk about board members and, and administrators that are leading the charge. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about those staff members. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we deal with educating our young people in a real way. Yeah. So I feel like if everyone buys into this concept that we're just going to shift curriculum resources that's going to hone in more deeply on, you know, the injustices that have been done to black and brown people in this country, specifically black men and women, then we're going to find ourselves with adults that aren't comfortable with teaching mm. it. Mm. If we don't address their issues, you know, the, bi right. the implicit biases that they may have, right. the misunderstanding that they have of the movement. Why do black lives matter? Why are we focusing on that? Why right. is it in that all lives matter at this time? And so I think it definitely is a systemic change that needs to occur with adults. I'm happy to see a lot of companies put money behind it. Now right. we're going to see how that money actually trickles down to neighborhoods in order to be successful. And so yeah. even in my schools, what I'm committed to is a, a true overhaul of our history curriculum. Mm -hmm. That from K to eight, we're not just going to do just and we weren't to begin with, but we're going to go deep. We're going to peel back the layer, the scabs. We're going to talk about the anti-literacy laws. We're going to go deep in that. We're going to talk yeah. about the systematic oppression that stems from, you know, the 400 years of slavery, the 13th yeah. Amendment. And sometimes, and I've been, uh, I've been guilty of it myself, of yeah. saying like, you know, well, what age is the right age mm. to begin to expose young people? So I've been doing my own research. And what I found is that 
young people as early as two and three, they're making assessments of the things that are around them, what people are saying to them, how yeah. things are ultimately happening, yeah. and then they're beginning to form opinions. Right. So you not addressing it is actually make it worse. can make it worse and be a detriment to the young person yeah. who's seeing protests, but you won't explain to them what it's all about. Right. Who's able to read yeah. a Black Lives Matter poster, but you can't even tell them, well, right. why is this important? Or, or why are, you know, black people constantly getting murdered by police um, right. on video? And right. so these are things that I feel like educators in general have been dancing around mm. and now it's at our front door. Yeah. And so it's, a, it's an amazing thing to see the uprising throughout the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not just America. And yeah. I think that this is the time, this is the opportunity. We're seeing very large corporations that have actually denounced this in the past, such as the mm -hmm. NFL, to now say, you know what, we were wrong. Yeah. And we apologize. <laughs> now, I don't think it better. Now, let's see what it is that they do to empower their players or allow their powers, allow their players to empower others mm -hmm. to really begin to get this job done. Because uh, it is early and there's a lot of planning mm -hmm. to occur. Yeah. There's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. And and that's going to require all hands on deck. Yeah. And you you mentioned a couple things. You know, I, you, you talked about the different levels of how this education operates, right? You talked about you know, administrators and board members, staff, and then like, you know, getting the information to young people. And like you just said, it is early. And I, there's a comment in here that I want to actually pull up. And, you know, I, I'm going to, I want to read this comment because I think it's a helpful comment for this conversation. This is from Akanundrum. Um, oh yeah. No, Akanundrum, yeah, yeah. Before you ask the question, um, if you go to her page, she's official. She's always supported me back when we had early Instagram, no kind of like platform. But she a beast okay. in what she do. Go, go, no. go. Ahead. Shout out to Akinundrum. Thank you for, for being here and contributing to this conversation. Uh, Akinundrum says, I think the parents need formal training to teach. This is as dangerous as making a parent a primary physician all of a sudden. A lot of parents barely remember what they learned and can, can't teach. So I'm wondering, um, this, this feels twofold to me, right? It feels mm -hmm. like, you know, on one hand, there's a, there's a self-education that, you know, we maybe, maybe parents should be self-educated so that they can be in a better position. But then it's also like this, maybe there's an onus on districts, right? What does that look like? And what advice or what things do you see as possible for what it looks like to formally train parents, to teach? Yeah. Like you said, we're kind of beyond that moment and it's early. So, um, and I'm going to give a simplistic answer because I, I think that there's a lot to unpack there. But if we were looking for a quick solution, I mean, what we have in terms of technology at this juncture is the ability to sit parents into a class to get them weeks ahead of the student and then for them to begin educating their students. So for a summer, if we said, hey, parents, we wanted you to log on, we wanted you to complete a module on the standards that your child will be actually learning come September, that's an opportunity to try and mitigate some of the disconnect. Now, it's much deeper rooted than that. So I said simplistic because I know that isn't right. the answer. It's a, uh, a potential idea, right, yeah. that would yeah. need to be flushed out in a room for the other, other educators for right. them to give their ideas and us to really do a design session. Because right. the reality is there are still parents that struggle with literacy. Yeah, that's real. Parents that's that real. struggle with mathematics. And so yeah. if they're counting on this system 
this American dream to do a better job for their child than the system did for them, yeah. then we're definitely going to be at a detriment. So it's truly um, a deep question, man. That's not yeah. something that I definitely could answer at the moment, but I yeah. would love to tackle it because uh, it is an idea that's going to be realistic. I do not think that we're going to return to normal school mm. um, in September the way we've experienced it in the past. I do think that there's going to be a mixture of in-person and at-home learning to continue. And that's another unique situation because we're not dealing with the fact that many families are essential employees or mm. now non-essential businesses are opening back up. They're yeah. going to need to go to work, but young people may still be at home. Yeah. So all of these things need to be figured out because not only is the justice system clearly broken, but the education system is not trailing far behind it. And the, the things that have just come out of sending your child to school and being suspended at astronomically rates higher than their white counterparts. So it's things like these that have been talked about. We've yeah. captured data on it, but it hasn't been fixed. And I think now is an opportunity to truly educate adults mm. to, to, to get right for young people. Yeah, that's real, man. And I, you know, I, you said a lot again, and I, I think I also want to just, I think it's worth noting that a lot of what you're talking about is also, these are, these are things that are done on a local level as well, right? Like when you're talking about the administration and the, the districts and um, these things are obviously local. I think a lot of times right now, a lot of us are, are so urgently, we, we urgently are requesting shifts Yes, but, you know, it's, it's local. A lot of stuff yeah. is local. Um, and that's where we can actually, I saw somebody here talk about levels of accountability, right? And I think when we come, we talk about levels of accountability, you have to think about it locally. But what you also said that was really interesting to me is, you know, training adults and training adults and what that looks like training parents. And one thing I think about is, and I guess it's a little bit of a shift, but uh, one of the things I feel like is really important when it comes to educational wellness is what it means to be intellectually curious, Right. Um, mm. On a on a wide scale, I think one of the things that, you know, being being in education spaces myself is, is, you know, a, what I see is like a lack of curiosity and like a lack of, you know, critical thinking. That's like right. question, question asking. And I'm curious because, you know, we've had many conversations. I'm just saying, oh, that was yes. really interesting point. Like that was you're clearly curious about a thing and you're, right. you're clearly thinking differently about this thing. This is an innovative approach to this. And I'm curious as to ways that you, you know, stoke the flames of your intellectual curiosity and how right. we can reattach and maybe reclaim that so that folks can actually be trained, whether it's self-trained or whether it's something that's, you know, provided as a resource by districts or government or whatever, for folks to be curious. But what, what are some things that you do what are, what are ways, what, what is it that you, that makes you curious that maybe can inspire or inform some of us? That would, that would be really helpful. So, I mean, the, the, the key to my curiosity literally stems from reading. And I don't want to, uh, you know, liken it to just one book or, you know, but like articles on education or articles just in general about things that I'm interested in even if it's music or hip hop and things like that. And how do we merge those two worlds? And so what begins to happen when I'm reading books about, let's say systematic oppression, or I'm reading a book about um, the way in which the, the justice system consistently fails us um, and why 
uh, these are things that begin to pique my interest. And then when I'm in something, right, when I'm at work and I'm seeing things in real time, it's what begins to generate these ideas and pull people together into the room and say, hey, this is what I was thinking. I want to begin to get your thoughts on it. I yeah. want to begin to organize it. And let's right. come up with a practical way to actually yeah. implement it and then kind of like incubate it and see if it's something that can grow into something bigger, deeper, so that it can be successful. And yeah. so this is my every day. Like literally, I yeah. wake up, I do my morning ritual, mm-hmm. I pray, and then it's reading. Yeah. Yep. And, and I want to be clear, people, for everyone that's watching, reading does not mean that you can't scroll Instagram because many of the posts that I choose to take a look at actually yeah. have information that's worthwhile and going deeper in the research yeah. that yeah. I see. So don't I don't want you to be fooled to think that this is only about a book. This is about anything that ultimately interests you. Right. And I think those are the things that spark the ideas that change the world because yeah. you became passionate about something that you weren't what's once aware of. Right. And you know what? You just mentioned something too that I think is really important. I like literacy and reading, a lot of times folks only think about books. And you know, there's articles and I you know I've even I was even kind of trained to understand reading. We read everything. We read music videos, right? Yep. We we read Instagram posts, right? And that is a type of reading that I think can, can stoke intellectual curiosity. But I think a lot of us don't have don't feel the permission to say, I read by by you know not, not even I read, but what did I read from viewing that or hearing that or seeing that? When we're listening to podcasts, that is a type of reading, right? Like that's a type of literacy. But I don't know if a lot of us have given have been given the permission to say, oh, that was reading because we've, we've relegated it to just being yeah. books. So I think that's yep. really important. No, that it's so important. And you know what? Like, you know, pursuing my doctorate, earning my doctorate. And sometimes people hear me speak and they'll say they have an expectation yeah. of like what I care about. And when I'm going to go to empirical research and, yeah. you know, all of those things were skills that I learned through the program. Yes. Yeah. And there were very a lot of books that I read that were extremely boring, but needed to be read. Right. But at the end of the day, if I can give anybody permission. Yeah. To choose the things that you ultimately enjoy in a real way in reading. If that is scroll- scrolling through your favorite thread on Twitter, is yeah. that if that's scrolling through your favorite thread on Instagram? Know that there's something there, that there's real information that's going to teach you how to establish something. Like we talk about a conundrum, you know, like she's helped hundreds, probably thousands of people start businesses and trade and trademark their things and get copyrights. And just because her page creates a is a is a platform for information. That is what's important. Seek the information that sparked the, the thoughts and the ideas. That is going to take whatever your dreams are to the next level. Don't yep. don't let it be stuck into a book. Yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna state what Akhenaten just uh, wrote. All forms of and this is what we're this is wrapping up what we're just talking about, right? All forms of literal consumption are vital. All forms of literal consumption are vital, especially if you teach children. You have to know how, where to reach them, right? There's there's so many different ways and styles that people learn. And we have to be cognizant of that. We have a few more minutes, Mills. And you just mentioned an enjoyment, right? I think sometimes when people hear education, they think boring. When they think yeah. of learning, they think like, uh, what we what we learning, right? 
but I do want to ask you about joy and yep. where do you, where you experience joy when it comes to educating yourself, educating others, literal consumption, to borrow the term from, from Akhenundrum, where are you experiencing joy? Where do you see joy showing itself in educational processes as we keep going? Yep. And so personally, I the, the greatest joy for me, for my personal kind of like food is uh, I finding a book that is actually teaching me new information or explaining a story in such a way that I didn't, when I initially heard about it or saw it or watched a video on it, that this has changed my perspective. Those right. are the things that I really enjoy uh, reading, learning about, and, and doing. And so uh, yeah. it's not always that you, you, you find that. I mean, there's a few books, like The Outlier, that was a book um, by Malcolm Gladwell. Bro, I got it right here. Yeah, see, like... What about Easter eggs, baby? What about Easter eggs? You see? So, like, thing, things <laughs> like that. Um, another book that he wrote that is, like, insane and really kicks off uh, about police brutality is called mm. Talking to Strangers. Mm. That book, again, has stories in it that mm. that explains things in such a way that simplifies it for anyone to understand, like, how do we go from this way of policing that transformed police departments all across America and yeah. all across the world that yeah. now when I walk out of my house, I'm thinking, how do I interact with this person if I happen to encounter them? Yeah. And it's not a thought for other people. Right. So that's one thing. Another thing is problem solving. I think that that's probably where my greatest joy comes from. Yeah. Like, I love to... Here's something that is impossible. It can be as simple as like, oh, I'm having a hard time with this spreadsheet. Mm. <laughs> I, I find joy in like yeah. <laughs> doing it the simplest, fastest way. Yeah, that's right. right. Or something, something as difficult as like, you know, young people are coming to me and I'm extreme, I'm clear based on assessments and things like that, that they're not being rated as mm. effective readers or mm -hmm. proficient writers or proficient mathematicians and mm -hmm. to take large amounts of people of color, young people yeah. and watch them transition in a very short period of time to proficiency. Mm -hmm. yeah. That brings me joy because what I understand is in my education was, was my equalizer. It's what mm -hmm. opened my eyes to, to everything yeah. to make it clear to me like, Whoa, I came from very humble beginnings Mm -hmm. Now I have opportunity to shift it. Yeah. And if I can give that gift to others in my community and communities around America, then I think like that's ultimately the legacy I want to leave. And it's it, and then I can die happy for sure. Yeah. That's real, man. Listen, that's a great perspective, man. There was a, a request for us to share one of our favorite books. You did share a book just now that I think is very appropriate for our time. I'll just follow suit. You know, I got, I have Malcolm and Martin in America back here by James Cone, which I, you know, that, that kind of put me on the path of understanding and, you know, opening my eyes to the, 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 the condition of race and right. politics in the United States, especially lending yourself to spirituality as well. So, yeah, I see Sarita Gates and you're talking about the Stir Crazy Archive. Shout out to Sarita Gates, <laughs> the archivist legend right there who's in the, who's in the room. But yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm grateful that you joined me to, for this conversation. I'm grateful for all of the, the contributions to the conversation. Bills, I want to give you like the last word right now yep. um, to lift anything, to share anything, 
any kind of like parting words of wisdom or anything like, you know, any promo, any, anything. So there, there is a book that I would really encourage everyone to share. I mean, to read. Um, and so it's called uh, Tears We Cannot Stop, mm. uh, a sermon to white America. Right. By, by Michael Eric Dyson. Mm-hmm. That book, and I would say, I believe it's, it's, it is definitely the next to last chapter. He lays out over 50 books that you should read if you want to mm-hmm. understand the plight of the black man. Mm. He takes the N-word, right? Mm-hmm. And breaks it down in so many different dialects in a way it actually yep. is used and why you shouldn't be saying it yeah. in such a crazy way. And the way the book is written is written as if it actually is a sermon inside of a religious institution. Right. Right. That is breaking down for for white America, what you have done, what the issues are, why we care for anybody in these times that needs something to read and is going to catapult them into just like this depth or this like a cycle of more learning and more reading. I think that's a book of choice. I want to I want anybody that's on the call, stay encouraged, stay informed, keep fighting a good fight, help others do good. I'm in love yourself. That's that's my final words. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Peace and power. True.